0: This is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about connections, international business, supply chains, and globalization, and the effects these developments have had on our life, our work, and our travel over recent times. Today in the show, we will be talking to Nigel Healy, Director at Estate Agents Jones Lang LaSalle here in Ireland, specializing in the industrial property side of the business. Uh, For some years now in Ireland, we have been experiencing lots of challenges on the supply side in relation to warehousing property in particular for the manufacturing, distribution and logistic services sectors. Um, prices have been rising and lead times for the delivery of new stock have been pushed out by supply chain disruptions arising from COVID and the war in Ukraine. So today, I hope Nigel is going to help us to make some sense of what is going on now and what we can expect in the sector over the next couple of years and beyond. So delighted to have you with us here today, Nigel. Very welcome.
1: Thank you for having me. Delighted to be here.
0: Uh, Nigel, could you tell us to kick off, uh, maybe an overview about your background and career uh, to date. So how did you become director at Jones Lang LaSalle on the industry side of property?
1: Oh, we're going back a long time now, Patrick. I suppose I actually started, would you believe, uh, life in this industry on the residential side, uh, going back when Moses was a young boy. Um I did that for a number of years. Then I moved on to the commercial side of life. Then I went to the UK for a short while, and I came back to Dublin to work in Jones Lang LaSalle in September 1989 on the industrial side, where I have lived ever since.
0: Very good. So, uh, tell me about that current role then at, at JLL. What kind of services does JLL uh, provide to industry? Typically, who are the clients? And how are they better off after they've dealt with you guys?
1: Uh, well, the firm itself was established in in Ireland as a, as a wholly owned Irish partnership in 1965. That's fifty something years ago. Um, it's it's a, obviously a full service delivery firm across all parts of the uh, of the property market, not just industrial, but through uh, the retail offices, uh, capital markets, and so forth. Um, in in our Particular feel, but we we've a, a small but completely dedicated team of of five people who do nothing but everything around the logistics sphere. So that would that would include, uh, you know, the the standard transactional stuff you'd see in terms of sales, leasing, um, acquisition advice, and so forth. But a lot of uh, and unusual, like some of the other firms, we do a lot of, uh, um, landlord and tenant work, lease advisory stuff, lease renewals. Um, forward funding and all that type of thing. So we, it, once it is a shed, we do everything relating to it, short of actually building it.
0: Okay. Um, uh, so as I said in the intro, for a few years now we've had this shortage of warehousing space uh, in Ireland and uh, showing up with, with, with manufacturers, with distributors and logistics service providers, so all, all across the board. So, what are the um, contributing causes and factors involved here that you can that you can see?
1: I think there's a number. Um, the, the one that sort of jumps out to mind, I suppose, is if we go back to sort of 2006 and seven, we calculated that that were at that stage there were about 35 uh, individual developers of industrial property in the Greater Dublin Region. Some big, some medium, some small and there's now about seven or eight. Um, most of those are, are not what I would call sort of indigenous industrial. I mean, they're bigger funds or they be Irish spin-offs of bigger funds, although there will be some, some uh, domestic guys. Um, so as a result, the industry really hasn't had the capacity um, to churn out uh, vast numbers of, of industrial buildings. Equally and traditionally, um, developers had tended to build one or two units at a time when they finish that, then go on to the next one. So they drip fed the market very unlike, for example, the housing sector, where very large schemes are built on mass. The industrial section is much smaller in terms of develop, developer numbers, and obviously the supply is controlled accordingly. Um, Equally, our, our our funding model has changed. So again, you go back to the the heady days of the Celtic Tiger, and development funding was was readily available. That's now not the case. Um, you know, you you can't walk into a high street bank and and borrow whatever it is to to build development. It's just not happening like that anymore. So there are again, we we have foreign based funds uh, coming in, providing some of that funding. Uh, equally, we're doing things like when we have a permission, with almost simultaneously line up the tenant and the funder at the same time for the developers. There's almost three transactions happening at that one time in order to, to get one. So that, again, again takes a bit of time, uh, is completely different to where it was, and, and, and does slow, if you like, the capacity to turn over the stuff as, as quickly. Um, there's no doubt um certainly planning is is is, is an issue um, you know it's it's it seems to be much slower which um, and where you have a market that doesn't have a lot of standing product uh, the ability to create uh, the product i mean it takes a period of time to build a building and and if you're having to spend, you know, 12 months going through a planning process, then suddenly it's 24 months before a building is available for occupation. So between the reduction in the number of developers, uh, what appears to be a slowing down of the planning process and a different funding model, it's just become a different world to where, to where it was, you know, seven, eight, nine years ago.
0: So how then are the users of warehousing space the manufacturers and distributors, logistic service providers, how are they, how are they actually coping? Because our economy since the financial crash back in what, 2008 or so, the economy recovered quite strongly from about 2014. And then we had the milk quotas were taken away and then we had Brexit. Then we had COVID and now we have the war and all of that seems to be contributing towards more emphasis on uh, security and safety, which means normally holding more inventory and having more warehouses. So how have they all coped in this period over the last number of years?
1: Uh, with difficulty, I think, in 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 reality. Uh, I think you're right when you say that, you know, the, the holding more inventory has become a thing. Certainly that would translate, as we would see, into, into requirements for larger warehouses simply because they're holding more stock. So, uh, you know, we have noticed the trend towards uh, larger warehouses has, has become more relevant. I mean, again, going back to the, the, you know, the mid noughties, if we got a requirement for a hundred plus thousand square feet, you know, if we have got two of them in a month, you'd be getting excited. So there's now nearly two a week. Uh, and in fact, you can see, see a, a lot of development around the place heading in that direction. Um, I think the manufacturers are slightly different, Patrick, insofar as they tend to be larger lead-in times. When when you're constructing a manufacturing facility, it's a bigger ask. I think it's very obvious within the the logistics and the warehousing sector that that it has become a challenge. Uh, And certainly for occupiers coming from outside of the country, there is a perception that well, look product can be easily found and I can set up my my warehouse of 20 30 40,000 square feet very quickly and and they're quite surprised when the availability of that stock is is virtually zero. Um, so it it is a huge challenge and and equally trying to address it through the 3PL route has been a problem because the 3PLs don't have the capacity either. So it is it, 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 yeah, it's absolutely a difficulty. So is it is it becoming a problem
0: for the likes of the IDA, trying to get people in here for foreign direct investment? Is it becoming an
1: issue? Look, I suppose the IDA, you'll probably answer that better, but my sense of it is, is and that's sort of why I was differentiating between the manufacturing and the logistics. They're, they're swimming in the manufacturing space, and, and they're brief, and, and they're particularly good at it. Is you know, in terms of, of directing that degree of investment in, in probably not necessarily the markets that we will be operating in. Um, and typically, they're bigger scale projects, which require, in many instances, speciality construction. Um, but where they are looking to adapt existing buildings, they will struggle and they are going to struggle. Um, and, 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 and it's the whole speed of, I mean, you can remember back in the days of the advanced factory. You know, that's certainly, you know, that's a thing of the past and would have been able to address those matters.
0: So the confluence of all of these factors and now the supply chain challenges and extended lead times and inflation, what's happening with prices in terms of building and in terms of renting warehousing facilities?
1: Well, if if, uh, construction costs, uh, my clients are telling me, are accelerating exponentially, you know, uh, exponentially. They're... We have seen, you know, week on week increases in steel costs, which feed into cladding and so forth. Um, much longer lead in times in terms of steel, and a lot of these are obviously built with steel. Um, so it 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 is a a problem to the extent that, uh, and if you go back to my earlier comments regarding a slowness of planning, if 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 you uh, agree. Uh, commercial terms to lease a particular facility uh, and it becomes a subject to planning deal. Uh, clearly that planning process is long, the construction process is long, but, but the contractor can't order the steelwork and get price certainty with, with, with a, a six or a 12 month lead in on the planning. Um, and that then is resulting in, in many contractors either not being prepared to stand over prices for, for a period, you know, only a couple of weeks. And and that gives greater uncertainty to the occupier market, which naturally means we're going to be less competitive internationally.
0: Yeah. yeah. In fact, I had a conversation today with somebody about not so much the warehouse building, but some equipment to go inside the building, actually automated equipment, you know, but the structural mm. part of that, the, the, the racking and shelving, and literally saying, when I give you a price today, that's today's price. If you ask me tomorrow, it's a different price. Yep. Next week, it's a different price. Whereas we used to have... You know, ninety-day validity or whatever on 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 racking and shelving and so on. So it's kind of it's got to that point where it's almost.
1: It, 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 yeah, it's a huge challenge, um, and and there isn't an easy fix. I mean, and the other side of the coin, of course, is is how does that impact on rents? But I think rents they've certainly grown. Um, but they're not quite back to the levels they were in 2006. And I know I reference 2006 regularly, but I think that's a, a sort of a benchmark in where we were and where we felt or where we're, where we're, where we're going to. So we're we're getting there. We're not quite there. Um, construction costs obviously could become considerably more expensive, but fortunately, what hasn't moved uh, is land values. I mean, land values in certain instances are still probably only a third of what they were. Uh, and that's the one thing that won't move. I mean, obviously, if your construction costs move uh, and your rents aren't moving at the same pace, the raw land is going to have to remain at a low level. I think the, the relatively benign interest rate environment has also helped. That may come under some pressure. Um, um, but, uh, you know, there's, there's certainly it's, a, it's, it's an uncertain time and a difficult time. And I can certainly understand why contractors won't and can't stand over prices indefinitely.
0: You mentioned earlier, um, you know, some of the changes that are happening, that the specifications are coming through for bigger facilities than in times past. So now 100,000 square foot plus is fairly common, whereas in the past it was quite quite rare. So apart from, say, the size, how else have requirements been uh, been changing on the part of occupiers uh, in terms of location, Scale, features, quality, and so on.
1: Well, taking quality and features, I suppose first. I mean, it comes as no surprise that the big one is all on the ESG side, um, occupiers are now very focused on all things environmental, uh, as they should be. Uh, the quality obviously is is, is so to our investors and investor funds. A lot of investors will say that unless you tick certain boxes around the sustainability um, severe they won't touch the product. A lot of that has been driven, obviously, in fairness, by regulation, we've regulations, and certainly the quality of the buildings now would be far better than the quality of them 10 years ago, no doubt. Um, and I've no doubt that the, that the quality of the Irish buildings will, will hold up very well when benchmarked with anything else. Uh, so that's one very noticeable feature of, of, of the market, uh, and, and it's here to say, I mean, you, you, you'll consistently see... Things like rainwater harvesting, um, no fossil fuel heating, and stuff like that going into buildings, and 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 you know th- that's 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 where that particular one is. So um, that is a that's a big factor. Um, I think I think you asked me what other changes were there in the market. What well, about heights? You know, buildings. Yeah. Well, hi- well, it's so, not yes hyperlocation. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, look, the, the buildings have got got taller, um, but the issue when you're building them speculatively is, is how high do you go? Um, you'll be more of an expert, but obviously there comes a tipping point where the cost of the materials handling equipment over a certain optimum level becomes exponentially more expensive. Uh, so most developers will build building into to a standard 12 meter height, so the, the isolated one above that, but it becomes more costly because you have greater floor tolerances, uh, you've have, you've have more steel, you've more cladding, and so forth. So, but your rent doesn't move. Uh, so, you know, there's obviously um, a point at which you've got to stop. Location wise, um, you know, we traditionally we would have been looking at you know southwest of of the city, um, north of the city. I think southwest of the city, we're seeing less available land. Um, so, that's going to, I think we're probably going to see a little bit more pressure and growth in the Nace area. Because if you think a development is right up to the county boundary in Dublin and there's not a vast amount of additional zoned land that's readily available in the marketplace, so your occupier has a choice north side or further down the Nace Road. Um, and I, I can certainly see the, the area of Nace Newbridge getting growing. There's been a couple of big transactions announced recently, which I think support that. North side of the city, there's still a fair chunk of land available, um, which is well positioned with all the you know around all the key infrastructural pieces, M50, airport, port tunnel. So I think there will be you know, sufficient volume of land available in the north side of the city to count to cater for requirements going forward. Ninety three point nine. Dublin South FM.
0: The developers are kind of picky about where they want to put these things, isn't isn't that right? I remember we were involved with some projects that were kind of outside the main Dublin or Cork and there was kind of they were they were doubtful about developing in some other places, yeah.
1: Um I- Yes, um, I, I think certainly you mentioned Cork. I mean, you know, going back twenty four months ago, thirty six months ago, you know, investors might might have been a bit shy about Cork, but Cork is suffering the same constraint on supply issues that that arise in Dublin. Um, and certainly, I've noticed a willingness on behalf of more and more investors to look at Cork as as, as a growing market. Um, it equally has has a total absence of standing product. Uh, and I know certainly I have a number of, of client requirements in the corporation that just can't be fulfilled outside of the design and build approach. So, uh, you know, they have the same issues. Um, the whole Limerick, Shannon area, probably not too far behind. Galway's a less of a market. Um, but those locations are, I, I, you know, they're, they're locations that have demand, but again, can't be satisfied.
0: So, uh, you know, I, I know it's it, it's unfair to ask people to, to predict the future, but uh, it doesn't stop <laughs> me asking. Um, so uh, although I guess if we're talking about the next 12 to 24 months, it's really probably not a prediction because of the lead times that are involved here. I think you can probably see what really is going to happen over the next 12 to 24 months. So what do you think uh, in terms of availability and costs with uh, what's already baked in right now?
1: Yeah, I I think it's clear over, over the next 12, 24 months, Patrick, we're, we're going to struggle with supply for the reasons you've articulated. Um I, I don't think there's an easy solution. Um I, I think to a certain degree with all that's going on along in the world at the moment, there there is, you know, there's a bit of pause for thought. So whether our the day-to-day demand was going to, would be executed on as quickly is, is a debatable point. Uh, we simply can't create the product, so that that fixes what we have. Um, I, I think we've got to find a way to get through planning a little bit more quickly. Um, no one is, for a moment, suggesting there should be any compromise in the quality of planning. It's just the speed with which it's been turned around is the issue. Um, and th- that, that then causes problems around growth of businesses and so forth, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. And is uh, are refurbs or um, you know l- lifting the height of existing buildings are those types of things
1: going on? Are they a thing? Uh, we we haven't seen it actually happening. We we have had uh, several conversations with with um, property owners about doing that, um, but but you know how do you lift the height of a building? You know you're effectively cutting the steel and adding a bit in, and the, the issues presumably around structural integrity. And actually, then you're back to getting the steel. Um, which is a problem. Then if you lift the height, it's the floor tolerance because it's an older building. So I think the, if you look where a lot of those older industrial buildings are, a lot of them are sort of, you know, knocking on towards forty years old. So there's, there's issues about obsolescence there that are that are not going to be readily fixed. Also, some of them are going to get caught in, you know, the City Edge project, which is the view that uh, Dublin City and South Dublin County Council have around developing those key locations that will be residential in future, where there's a lot of older industrial buildings. And indeed, even going back a number of years ago, there was a drive on behalf of a lot of the occupiers up in what was Kulak Industrial Estate to have that rezoned for residential use. Now, for that to happen, there has to be space for those occupiers to decant into. Per my earlier observation, that's less of a problem on the north side of the city and a much greater problem on the south side of the city. And you can't simply say to an occupier, well, I know you're on the nice road and I know you've been there for 30 years and I know you have all the staff. I'm sorry, you have to go to Bally Coulin. You know, with, with, with the 6% unemployment that's punched you away losing all your staff. Yeah. So I, I I think in that sense, it's a much bigger question.
0: So, on that, then in a strategic sense over the longer term, uh what would or what should property development in warehousing ideally look like to provide Ireland Inc., if you like, what it really needs? And what would be the key ingredients, say finance planning, scale, and so on? And who would be the key players, developers, planners, investors in that ideal solution? So you say you like where where are we going? Well, we wouldn't start where we are, but where where would we like to be? Say in five years or ten years?
1: Um, from a location perspective, uh, we're seeing the opening and and the um, not so much the opening, but but locations such as Ashburn, such as Clane, becoming much more acceptable in the marketplace. Um, they would have ten years ago been viewed as as, as somewhat peripheral. I think that's less of an issue because the road infrastructure to those, those locations, which in reality are only at the edge of the city. So that's giving opportunities for additional land. And I mentioned Nathan Newbridge before. So I think we're going to see a further spread out in those locations, which which will help. Uh, again, we're back to planning. We 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 have to have a system that is fit for purpose in terms of being able to, you know, to plan our future well not necessarily compromise on that, but do it more efficiently. Um, And and I think that that will certainly help. Mm. Yeah, I think I
0: think perhaps sometimes um, the logistics activity is seen uh, by the powers that be somehow as not being sexy. So, you know, they like to talk about maybe biopharma or um, chemicals, R&D, high tech, all of this type of stuff. But I think what a lot maybe um, don't appreciate is that all of those industries need logistics in order to function. Um, So it's almost like they need to be thinking ahead um, in terms of almost pre-planning, maybe large locations in strategic places around the country um, to cater for that so that these industries can come and can develop and their logistics service providers can follow
1: them. Oh, I agree. I mean, I, I, I think uh, certainly COVID was was a real eye opener for people in terms of, of, you know, stuff not getting delivered. You know, we all think that when we go to the supermarket, we can buy whatever on the shelf and go away and consume it. No one ever thinks for a moment of where it was made, where it came from, how it got there and how quickly can it be replenished. Uh, and, and, you know, there's nothing like an absence of blue roll to focus the mind, you know. Um, and and that's the reality. I mean, all this stuff actually gets on our supermarket shelves because some chap our girl has actually delivered it. Yeah. Um. It, it's it's it, it's vital, and and I think you're right. I think everyone suddenly woke up. Oh, gosh, and I, I can't get X, Y, or Z. Uh, and how did that happen? Well, it happened, uh, and and it could happen again.
0: Yeah, yeah. We're in a we're in an even potentially more challenging situation. Now, so we'll see how the supply chain repercussions reverberate from this, from this war um, into the food supply chain and others. So we'll see we, we'll see that over the coming months, I guess. Um, I may be talking about that a kind of a general question for you. You know, I know you're a guy who you know um, pays attention to the news and what's going on in the world. So this is not a question about your speciality, but uh, it's a question I like to ask everybody who comes on here in terms of. Uh, you know, the economic globalization that we all grew up with over our professional lives and kind of has enabled us to have this economy that we have and has enabled us to have free movement in certain countries and has enabled us to to travel, things we take for granted. So where, where do you think we are uh, with the process of globalization? So it grew very quickly, say, from 19, 1990 to 2010, then it slowed, then it flattened and And I think now even with this this war in Europe and covid it's probably going backwards so where, where do you think you, we are where do you think we're headed with this?
1: oh that's a tough one it is it is a bit sort of looking at the future really isn't it um speculating yeah it, it is yeah and i think i think it, i think it's different things to different people you know I mean if you're if you're you know manufacturing a product that you know can be distributed worldwide. You're going to want a global logistics supplier. You're not going to want, you know, Patrick Daly, one man and a truck to be delivering your product to every corner of Ireland. Um, and there's lots of reasons for that. On the other hand, I think a lot of people are going, well, you know, we tried that, did not work, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But the, but the human, I know, the human condition is, it's sort of, at one level, when things flatten out, it sort of returns to type. So I, my my sense, my personal sense of it is that, uh, you know, the, the, it, it may be slightly different uh, yeah. in, in a way that we don't quite understand. But I don't think the the, the world will get a smaller place. and maybe a different place, but yeah. I don't think it will be a smaller place.
0: Yeah, so more like it's, it's not so much deglobalization, it's maybe a different form of globalization we're heading for.
1: Yeah, yeah, would be my sense of it.
0: Yeah. Okay. So as we come to the last few minutes, then we'll change tack again and maybe leave work uh, behind altogether. So when you're not working and uh, thinking about the ways of the world, what do you like to do with your spare time?
1: Oh, not that I have an awful lot of it. Uh, I, 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 well, a lot of family time, obviously. Um, you know, I, I get out on the bike quite a bit. Actually, I, I don't play golf. I tried that. I was absolutely rubbish at it, and I decided I'm, I'm way too old to go back to try that. So I'm not, fan that, of yeah, that. Um, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I have three kids of various different ages, so they keep me busy doing various different and things so uh yeah not a lot of spare time patrick unfortunately i'm hoping for a bit more over the next couple of years to be honest and are you you reading or listening to
0: anything currently you know books ebooks podcasts or so on that you'd recommend or particularly i
1: i love a good i love a good uh history read um so i I currently have uh uh, beside my bed uh, a book by max hastings on the whole first world war which which i suppose is given what we're seeing at the moment is, is comparing and contrasting one against actually horrible this stuff hasn't changed you know unfortunately um but um and i certainly wouldn't be without my spotify absolutely not <laughs> i'll take that to the desert island I think. <laughs> there's a there's a good uh
0: history podcast that i listen to called actually the rest is history and it's by uh john holland who is uh, he's an English historian, and uh, he's got a lot of BBC documentaries made and uh, books about Christianity and the Middle Ages and so on. But himself and a uh, buddy of his, whose name escapes me, have this um, podcast. The rest is history, and it's on Spotify. Uh, but it's very good because they do it. They do it with a bit of humor, you know. Um,
1: be added to my, my listening list. <laughs> okay.
0: So uh, to finish up then, uh, Jones Lang LaSalle, wh- where can people find out uh, more uh, about your uh, services and activities and what you can do for them in terms of industrial property and warehousing?
1: Well, they they can certainly uh, contact us uh, in the office, which is in Steinhouse in, in Hat Street in Dublin too. Um, 673 or they can contact us via the website uh, jll.ie um, and we we will quite happily deal with whatever queries, questions, problems or conundrums are posed. We've Excellent. seen a lot of them.
0: Excellent. Thanks very much. Uh, pleasure talking to you today, uh, Nigel, and uh, wish you every success uh, personally and professionally in the future.
1: And you, Patrick. Thanks for your time. I've enjoyed it.
0: All the best. Uh, thanks to listeners for tuning in. And any comments or questions, just drop me a line on uh, PDALY, PDALY at ALBA Logistics, all one word. That's ALBA And keep well and stay safe until next time.